here today. Lord, we come with open hands. We come with open hearts. We come with open minds. We come with open spirit to receive from you. So, Lord Jesus, bless your servant, Andrew. I pray that you'll pour out, Lord, with great um, strength, Lord, your word today through him with clarity, with power. Oh, Jesus, we welcome the word of the Lord today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today is a final message that Andrew's giving on community, restoration of community, and uh, it has been a very rich and wonderful word for us. So one more time, let's welcome Andrew this morning as he brings the word. That exciting event, those exciting events are going on. Um, just going to start this. I'll talk one-handed today. It's kind of hard for me, but, you know, I might do some of this. Well, uh, today is uh, the last part of a four-part series, Restoration of Community, and uh, it's part of our 90 days of community, and what I've said each week is that we are not just going to have community for 90 days and then go back to being selfish after 90 days. Uh, <clears throat> this is a, a period of 90 days where, really, where we're, gonna, we're actually setting aside some other things, setting aside some some other events, things that we're involved in, and we're going to focus on this whole theme of community. Now, uh, you may have noticed we haven't taken communion yet, and the reason for that is we're going to actually take communion afterwards, after uh, we have uh, spent some... Uh, we're going to take communion after the message. Uh, so I want you to think about the message today as sort of a build-up to communion as a way to prepare our hearts. It's like a meditation for our hearts to get us ready for communion. And uh, I'll be explaining that a little bit more in a, in a bit. But if, if you remember these 90 days of community, this is a time where each one of us, uh, individually and also as a family, we're each one going to go to God and say, God, would you show me how I can contribute to community? How can I reach out to community. It might be kind of an in-reach into community. Uh, you know, maybe the person across the aisle you never talk to or, or, or you notice someone's always by him or herself and, uh, you know, maybe that person needs someone to come up to them and, uh, you know, shake their hand and introduce themselves. Uh, you know, so it might be kind of an in-reach in the church or it might be kind of an outreach beyond the church. Uh, maybe, you know, boldly talking to someone at a coffee shop you net normally wouldn't talk to, sharing your story of how you came to faith. There's all kinds of ways uh, that God wants us to somehow step beyond ourselves and reach out. Uh, scripture says that when we are gathered, each one of us has a gift for the purpose of building up the whole body. Some gifts are hidden and nobody even notices them. They just kind of like secretly happen behind the scenes. Other gifts are big and overt and everybody sees them. But everybody has a gift. Everybody is bringing a contribution. And even if you feel, you know, feel like I, I just, you know, I, I, uh, 
you know, I'm not very important or I don't have much significance in this community. Yes, you actually do. Everybody is contributing something. So, uh, so that's what these 90 days are for, to really focus on that, to really pray that. And at the end of the summer, early fall, sometime in there, we're going to have some testimonies that uh, people are going to share, uh, hear about some amazing ways the Holy Spirit has led different ones of us to contribute to community. So, the reason I'm doing these, this four-part series is uh, to sort of give us some strong biblical foundations for what we're doing, this whole community thing. And we need some strong biblical foundations because I've made this crazy assertion every week. It's, I know it's totally crazy. Some people are still not convinced of this. The church is God's solution to the world. It's not a revolution. It's not a political movement. Uh, it's not a lack of a political movement. The solution to the world is actually the church, us, the church. We are the solution to the world. And uh, I mentioned this last week. The church is God's plan A for the world. And guess what? There is no plan B. It just does. Thank Yes. Thank you, sister. That's right. I know some people are like, there's no plan B, but uh. yes, that's, and it's a good thing. There's no plan B. So I'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, just brief review. I'll try to be brief. Uh, foundations, four foundations I laid the first week. Community imitates God. God is a community, the Trinity. And so when we act as a community, we're actually imitating God. Foundation number two. We become like him only in community. If God is a community, then it follows that we're only going to be like him when we're doing community ourselves, like God is constantly doing community for eternity. Foundation number three, we live in him and bear fruit in him only in community. When Jesus told his disciples, go and bear fruit, he wasn't telling individuals to go and bear fruit. He was saying, you as a whole group, all you guys, y'all... Bear fruit. That's what Jesus was saying. Um, And then foundation number four, we reveal God to the world only in community. It's only in community that the world gets this picture of who God actually is like. Uh, Second week, I took a look at some of the roots of withdrawal, some of the the reasons we withdraw from community, try to distance ourselves from community, try to escape community. It's all kinds of reasons. One of the roots I identified was the root of apathy, not feeling anything, not feeling any passion or desire or value for God and for what he treasures and what he wants. And I said uh, a couple things we need to do when... uh, when we feel that apathy, is we need to combat the apathy by searching our hearts. It gave us a couple questions to search our hearts with. Number one, ask ourselves, am I born again? It's a very legitimate question to ask. If we've been born again, then the Spirit of God lives in us and his own desires actually reside in us. Even if they start off in just seed form, even if they're minuscule at first, Uh, and and even if if they're sort of clouded over by other stuff at first, if we've been born again, then God's own desires actually are inside of us. And second question to help us search our hearts, is Jesus my treasure? 
If Jesus is our treasure, we're going to treasure what Jesus treasures. We're going to like what God likes. And so if he's our treasure, then we're going to like his community. Not that it's always going to be fun, easy, smooth sailing. Certainly not. But somehow deep in us, there's going to be this desire from the Spirit of God to embrace and love and take care of and contribute to community, his own community. Okay. Uh, A second root that makes us withdraw, I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, was the orphan spirit. That's that sort of frame of mind when we interpret other people's actions towards us as rejection. Whether or not it's real rejection, we interpret it as rejection. It feels like rejection. So somebody forgets to say hi to us some morning. Someone uh, is looking the other way when we say hi to them. Some little thing, we interpret it as a snub, as a rejection. And uh, that's that orphan spirit, a feel, feeling like we're actually orphans. And the way to combat it is with God's own spirit of adoption, his Holy Spirit that makes us certain and secure that no matter how other people treat us, we're family members. We are members of the family, and that can't be taken away. All right? The spirit of adoption. Uh, Then, last week, I said some really crazy stuff. And I know some of you communicated with me over the week, and I know you thought some of you were like, whoa, this is really crazy. Um, But I talked about if community is so important... What am I supposed to do when community violates me? When community hurts me? When people, act, people in community actually sin against me? And I gave us several ways to respond. Number one, determine if it's a true violation. Got to do that hard work. Taking the log out of our own eye before we pull the speck out of someone else's eye. No way around that. Response number two, we've got to embrace God's call to rebuke. As I said last week, rebuking isn't being mean and nasty and uh, cruel to somebody. It's lovingly confronting, lovingly pinpointing where the other, the other has failed you or sinned against you. Uh, response number three, I said meditate on God's wrath. And what I meant by that, wrath is another word for God's justice. It's actually God's love bumping up against sin and injustice. And uh, God, unlike the way we handle our wrath, you know, kind of out of control and crazy, and God's wrath, he's very much in control of it, and it's very just. Um, and and when, when we meditate on God's justice being in control, that frees us up to forgive other people. We don't have to retaliate because we know God is fully redressing every grievance. Uh, and then response number four, Embrace your powerlessness. There's a special protection God has for those who assume the low position of powerlessness over situations, over difficulties, over trials, over injustices. Embrace your powerlessness. God will even turn the afflictions that come against you into uh, into a greater um, refinement of your faith and your relationship with him when we embrace our powerlessness. And lastly, meditate on your real future. Injustices injustices make us feel like our real future is awful, miserable, dark, 
Our real future is quite the opposite if we are in Christ. Our real future is only good, only glorious, only beautiful. And when we meditate on that, it takes away that sting of injustice. Something so bad has been done to me that it's, it's absolutely irrecoverable. Nothing, nothing can be good again because of what's been done to me. It's not true according to the Word of God. Okay, so I, uh, all of this was to help assert this truth. God, the church is God's solution to the world. Uh, it is his plan A, and there is no plan B. Now, if this is true, if this crazy thing that I'm saying up here is true, that means that we, as God's church, as God's people, must invest our lives into Jesus' community. We need to give the community our breath, our money, our efforts, our muscle, our skills, our gifts, our energy, our sweat, even our blood at times. We need to give the community everything we've got. And uh, that's quite opposite from what we usually do in America. In America, we think community is optional. We think it's optional to be in community, to contribute to community, uh, and, and so what do we do when things get rough, when things get uncomfortable? We, we slip away. We uh, kind of drift off. Uh, we, you know, if you're on Facebook, you unfriend the person who you're, uh, you know, not, you're not so excited about anymore. Um, you, uh, uh, you know, slowly find excuses to not return phone calls and you just kind of hope that you'll sort of disappear. Um, and... You know what? If community is this important, though, if it's actually this important, it's going to take something from the Holy Spirit of God to make us persevere when community gets hard, when community involves sacrifice, when people get irritating, when people get irritating again and again and again and again. When people get annoying again and again and again and again. Uh, Community, if if this is true, then it's going to take all of us persevering with the people God has put us together with over a long period of time. And, you know, you might be objecting, but, 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 wait, 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 but, Andrew, stop. Um... It's hard, right? We just have to acknowledge that's the case. We have to acknowledge that it can be very hard. Now, I want to use an analogy to explain this. All right, how many know the phrase we say in in America a lot? uh, we, We call it the honeymoon phase. All right, everybody knows what the honeymoon phase is, right? What, what, what is the, somebody tell me, what is the honeymoon phase when we say that? So what's, what, Kathy? 
Right, everything seems pleasant for the first part of a marriage relationship. Um, you know, the courtship goes really great, you're getting ready for the wedding, and of course you're consumed with that, so that feels really good. The honeymoon, you're off in, I don't know, Cancun, or I don't, that's of course just you're on top of the world. <clears throat> and then things are going great for a few years, and then reality sets in, and you're, and, and you know, spouse is like, wow, he's, still doing that really annoying habit. And as oh boy, he didn't actually change when I married him. Um, what's going on? Uh, and we start to, a few married couples are looking at each other like, mm. other married couples aren't looking at each other. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's hard, okay, right? It, can get, it starts to get hard some, sometimes, Boredom sets in. I'm sure not with anybody here, but other couples. Sometimes boredom sets in. Irritation sets in. Violation happens. We hurt each other. Um, now, th- this is this is actually very. It's a very good analogy for community because guess what? Community also has a honeymoon phase when things feel like they're going great. Well, what has become very commonplace in America now? is when the honeymoon phase is over and the disillu- there's disillusionment that sets in. Whoa, my spouse isn't perfect and he or she didn't change to be exactly the way I wanted him or her to change. Like I thought I was going to change her or him when I married, it, married them. Uh, when that honeymoon phase is over, what often, frequently, not with every marriage, of course, but many times happens is divorce, separation. Now, this also happens... With community, okay? You guys following me? The honeymoon phase, things are wonderful. We're all up in the clouds. And, oh, I just love these people. These are the best people I've ever been with. They're wonderful. And then, you know, people start getting irritating. People start doing annoying things. They're like, oh, they're, that person still hasn't changed, and they're still irritating me. And that starts happening, and the honeymoon phase is over. Well, I'm going to say something kind of, kind of weird here. But that honeymoon phase of community, just as it's true in marriage, the honeymoon phase in community is not true intimacy. Okay? The honeymoon phase is not true intimacy. It it has intimate aspects to it, but it's not the real, full, deep intimacy where... The couple knows each other inside and out, loves each other, committed to each other inside and out, fully aware of each other's faults and shortcomings, been through all kinds of things together. That's intimacy. That's intimacy. Uh, and that honeymoon phase actually isn't even authentic. Now, now, now don't get me wrong here. Um, it's authentic. I mean, those are real feelings people have for each other of love and, and so on. It's authentic that way. It's not authentic in the sense that it's not yet proven, tested intimacy. It's not proven and tested intimacy. And so, um, so yeah, I know some, I know I'm going to get, I, some people are going to email me today and get annoyed with that. But, so, it's not true intimacy. It's not true authentic, authentic intimacy, and God wants us to push past that honeymoon phase and persevere when community starts getting hard, just like he wants us to do in marriage, okay? Just like he wants us to push into 
that phase, that, that, that long-term authentic intimacy. He wants us to do that in community as well. And so you might be saying, you know, but, 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 how? How do I persevere? How am I supposed to persevere in mature, authentic community? All right. I've got three points I'm going to try to briefly share with you about how we persevere in community. My first point is the exact opposite thing I should say if I were a good American public speaker. If I were to follow the rules that they teach you and how to be a good public speaker, I would, I would uh, not be telling you what I'm about to tell you. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the good American public speaking is, you know, you make everybody feel lighthearted, you, you uh, make everybody feel good about themselves, and uh, send them on their way, and, and then you hope somehow something sunk in. So I'm going to do the exact opposite thing. You, know, you guys are excited about this. You need to, number one, feel how seriously God takes community. You, you actually need to feel how serious. Now, some of you are going to be like, okay, Andrew, that is really, really un-American. That is really un-American. Fourth of July, we're supposed to celebrate America. That is un-American to make us feel serious about something I want to be casual about. Okay? Uh, you are absolutely right. It is un-American, but I would actually be sinning against God if I didn't do my duty as an elder of the church to turn up the heat a little bit on us about community. All right? I'm having to turn up the heat on myself, guys, so this is, we're in this together. Um, but we do need to turn up the heat. We've, you see, we've got to make community work. We don't have another choice. As I said before, community is, in Christian community, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And this is the one institution we get. This is the one organization we get. This is the one real family that we get in, to make God's plan work. Now, God is sovereignly doing his plan, obviously. Um, it's not like it's contingent on us and how well we do, but, but it's, it's his plan, and we've got to align ourselves with it fully. This, this, is, this is our one shot I know that sounds harsh, but Jesus' community is our one shot to work with God while we're here on this earth. If, if we're going to claim to be aligned with God's purposes, then we need to make his community happen and work. In fact, I will go so far as to say we can't even claim to be doing the real Christianity thing. We can't even claim to say I'm really following Jesus and, and if we are not loving and treasuring his community. And, and after all, it's not, it's not just, this isn't just any community we're talking about. This is, this is his. This is his community. It's Jesus' community. And it's his chosen means to reveal himself to the world so that everybody could be saved. And I, I'm, I'm going to turn up the heat. Keep turning it up. Um, the book of John, not 1 John, but John, 
Um, if everyone could, almost everyone's got a Bible in front of you, or maybe you brought your own, but John chapter 21, I just, I want you to notice something that I just cannot get off of my mind. It just, it's sort of like sandpaper. It just kind of like keeps irritating me again and again for, it's been doing that for years. But John chapter 21, the book of John, the gospel of John chapter 21, famous, famous uh, passage where Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter's betrayed him. And now Jesus and Peter get to look at each other face to face. Jesus reveals himself, um, and, and uh, Jesus said, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but I just want to point out a few really key things. Chapter 21, verse 15, says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Okay, we all know this story. Most of us know this story. Jesus says this three times, okay, and, G- and Peter finally gets really annoyed, like, yes, you know I love you. Um, now, I, w- I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says to Peter when Peter says, yes, I love you. Verse, uh, the end of verse 15, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks again, do you truly love me? Peter says, yes. In the end of verse 16, Jesus said, take care of my sheep. All right? And, uh, and then a third time it happens, and um, Peter's really annoyed by this time, and then Jesus says, um, feed my sheep at the end of verse 17. Okay? So it's like what's happening here is Peter says, yes, yes, I love you, and Jesus is saying, the proof's in the pudding, Peter. Feed my lambs. That's the proof. When you contribute to this community I'm setting up here, Peter, when you, when you contribute to this community by feeding my lambs, that's like the proof that you actually love me. Okay? You guys see what I'm saying? If the, the real proof that we love Jesus. Now, now, we can have amazing worship experience, amazing experiences with God alone in our prayer closet, and, uh, and, and we're like, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you, love you, love you, love you. But the proof that that's authentic, that that's real, that's true, the proof of it is how we feed the sheep. Now, now Peter had a very kind of particular job in the body of Christ to feed the sheep, but we all, we're not, we're not all going to be apostles like Peter, but we all have this contribution to make by which we help feed the sheep around us, okay? We all have some contribution to make. And then, this often doesn't get pointed out. If you stay here with me in John chapter 21, um, he says here um, in uh, verse um, 18, Jesus says, after he says to Peter, feed my sheep, he says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, um, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, what's hap- the, verse 18 and 19 go with the previous verses here. What's happening here is Jesus is saying, Peter... 
The way you're going to feed my sheep is with your very life. You are going to feed my sheep. You're going to give them what truly nourishes them in their spirit, the glory of God. You're going to give them that by giving up your very life. Okay? I'm turning up the heat, guys. Hope you're all feeling the heat a little bit. The way we will contribute, the way we will feed the sheep here, feed one another, feed Jesus' sheep, is by giving our very life. Now, it may or may not be physical bodies. May or may not. I don't know. It's no way to tell for any, any individual. But there is a way that when we feed the sh- one another, when we f- contribute to the body, we, they're, they're, we are dying to... Um, we, we are actually giving our lives for the sake of the body, for one another. Okay? And in case anyone thought this is just one isolated passage, um, just want to remind us, I've shared this every week from 1 John, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And then this other uh, quote from this uh, theologian I studied in um, seminary, the more he's summarizing 2,000 years of Christian teaching. The more perfected in love the saint becomes, the greater the identification with the body. The closer the union with God, the stronger the bond with Christ's body. Sainthood is perfected in communion with others, never apart from it. All right. We feel in the heat. Okay. All right. I did the exact opposite thing a good speaker would do, but there you go. So, once again, we've got to feel how heavy this thing is. We've got to feel how serious God takes this thing. The church is God's solution to the world. It's his plan A. There's no plan B. All right. Thank you very much, Andrew. That was singularly unhelpful to me. That was totally impractical. Um, Feel the heat. Uh, Feel how much God, how seriously God takes it. All right. The next thing, I hope, this is about as close to being practical as I get. I hope this actually is practical for you. Pray the Our Father. Uh, other churches, other traditions label the Lord's Prayer the Our Father. And uh, if you've been a part of that, you know, maybe you've grown up in a tradition where you've been reciting that from memory since you were, you know, born, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, as a Pentecostal church, we, uh, we sort of shy away from reciting that because it sounds so liturgical, it sounds so strict. And, and I just want to make clear, I, I believe Jesus gave us a pattern to pray, not a strict, we're not necessarily supposed to say it strictly word for word. I mean, we can, that helps. I, I do that. That actually helps me remember. Uh, but, but I believe it was a pattern Jesus left us. Having said that, the Our Father, we're not supposed to be kind of loosey-goosey about the content of the prayer. Uh, everything in that prayer is intentional Everything in that prayer is straight from God. God thought it up, um, and he wants us to include all that content when we pray. And, and one of those, the pe- one piece in that content is the plural pronouns, our. 
and we and us. And I just want us to just think about this, meditate on this for, for just a minute. Look, I, I underlined it for us up here, but look at how many times uh, Jesus, again, this is Jesus' words, he, he gave us this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I want to share a little personal testimony here. I used to be afraid of praying this way because I kind of thought I would get lost and my needs wouldn't get met if I was praying for other people a lot. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I, but what I've noticed, I've, I've started praying this way more and more, and this strange thing has been happening inside of my heart as I pray. I actually am feeling my heart start to expand with care for other people. It's kind of like those of you with children, um, you know, you, you have one child and you love them just to death and then, oh, not to death, you love them, and then you love them so much, a second child comes along and you're like, how could I love another child anymore? But somehow your heart just expands and makes room and, 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 uh, and you start loving the second child and the third child and on and on and on. Uh, it, it's like that. That's what's been happening inside my heart. As I, as I pray our Father in my imagination, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of all the other people I'm praying for, my, my family members, my friends, our church, uh, and the, the list goes on and on. But something inside my heart is expanding as I pray our Father. And I think God wants us to pray this way so that our hearts begin to expand. Our, our concern for other people will begin to widen as we pray this way. Um, and, and, and you know what? If we're going to have the kind of strength, the kind of resiliency, the kind of supernatural power to act like Christ's community, what's going to have to happen is many of us, all of us, in fact, are going to need this kind of expanded heart to be able to do this. Um, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes... I hear about someone's problem, I hear about somebody's difficulty, and I'm like, oh God, I just don't have it in me to even like really care about that. I mean, I know what that person's going through is like really hard, and I know I should be like really concerned, but like I just don't have it in me to like really like care. And and, and I know that sounds awful, but I think a lot of us react that way when we're overwhelmed with needs. But as we pray the Our Father, what happens is we begin to see ourselves in solidarity with everybody else, and we began to see everybody else in solidarity with us. We began to see ourselves all kind of in the same boat together, we, oh, going through this journey together, and that, that's how that heart gets expanded as we pray, our and us and we. You know, and furthermore, this is how Jesus told us to pray. Okay? And we can't really go wrong when he, we do what he tells us to do. So... All right. Last point. And that is, we need to be able to do this community thing, to be able to persevere, be able to um, behave like this community, behave like the community of Christ is really as important as he says it is. 
we need to be able to, we, we, we need to fix our eyes on the full revelation of God. Now, I've struggled and struggled to come up with an analogy for this, and there isn't quite a perfect one. But <clears throat> how many of you have had like, and I'm not talking about this week, you've had the experience where you've had a horrible week, and then something on the weekend makes it so that horrible week was actually worth it? How many of you guys have had that experience? Like, the week was awful, couldn't get any worse, and then something happens on that weekend, and it's like, almost like the horribleness was like a bad dream that kind of fades away. Or maybe the reverse, maybe your weekend was horrible, and something happens in the middle of the week, okay? You guys are following me, hopefully. Uh, not the best analogy, but this is the thing. When we see Jesus high and lifted up, exalted and sitting on his throne in his full beauty, his full glory, when we look into his eyes, it's like all the hardship of persevering with irritating people, persevering with people who violate us, persevering in um, doing this hard, sometimes hard community thing. It's like when we see Jesus, all of that becomes worth it. All of it. We say, oh yeah, that actually was worth it. I quoted this last week from, from Paul. He, he writes that, I do not consider, in Romans he writes, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time to be worthy of comparison of the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory of God is so thick, so weighty, so all-consuming, so vast, that it actually makes our difficulties and our trials, including the ones connected with community, it makes it worth it. And, it, and in, fact, in fact, we realize that community, Christian community, God's community, is actually God's main vehicle, main means for showing us His glory. And we're like, oh God, that was worth it. That is worth it. And I, and, and I just want you to imagine, and maybe this week has been too hard for you and, and you're still stinging uh, from how hard it was. Maybe this is too hard to imagine, but I want you to imagine, all of us have had some kind of experience in life where, where this has happened, where something is so good, it outweighs what's been hard for you. And I just want you to imagine getting to look at Jesus in all his glory and being able to say, yes, yes, God, yes, it actually, it actually was worth it to be able to see you like this. Now, when I say full revelation, I mean the full revelation. Some of us want to kind of just feed ourselves on the revelation of how much God loves us. Now, that's, that's good. You've you got to do that. That's a, that's a piece of it. But if you stay there, if you kind of stay stuck in just God loves me, God, just, just how much he loves you, then you're not going to persevere into that mature, authentic, real kind of community and, and relationship with God that God wants for you. God actually, just like 
we got to persevere past the honeymoon phase with our spouses, with community. God wants us to persevere past the honeymoon phase with him. He wants us to persevere into the place where we are encouraged when we hear what I said last week about meditate on God's wrath. I know that sounds really weird, but, you know, if we, like I said last week, if we meditate on God's wrath, then we don't have to be wrathful. We don't have to retaliate. We don't have to, we don't have to take justice into our own hands. We are, we're free to let God be in charge when we meditate on God's wrath. We actually get to forgive freely when we meditate on God's wrath. So don't stay stuck in just, oh, how much God loves me. That's a, you got to have that. That's the whole heart and center of it. But let the full revelation of God hit you, impact you, full in all his glory, his justice, his righteousness, his authority, his sovereignty, and also his sweet humility and humbleness and how he came down and became one of us. Let the whole thing, the whole beauty of it all, come together and overwhelm you. Now, I, as I said, I, I, I hope that this has been, my, my desire is that this message here is a, is a meditation preparing us for this table. Um, when we come together, we're not only remembering what God has done for me. That's good. That's a part of it. But we're not only remembering what God has done for me, how he's taken my sins away, we're actually remembering how God has brought a whole community together, a new nation, a holy nation, um, a, a community of God's priests, a nation of God's priests. God has brought together this crazy new community the world can't even describe or figure out or understand. That's what we're remembering when we're coming together at this table. Um, and actually, if the, as I are going to transition into the time of communion. So if the worship team could come up, if the ministry coordinators, elders, and anyone else who's serving communion, come on up. Um, but I just want us to, or I'll say it this way, I want us to actually think something a little different, a little strange, maybe, when we're taking communion. Instead of only thanking God for how this the memory of this blood and the memory of this body of Christ was broken for us. Instead of only remembering that, I want us to think about how by his blood and his body, Jesus has made us a new community, has made us a different community. Okay, Jesus has actually um, changed... He's actually instituted this crazy thing called the church that's his solution to the world. And when we're taking communion, we are actually re... This little play on words, remembering. Not just remembering what happened in the past, but we're becoming members of one another all over again. All right? So, so I want us to think about that, expand our brain a little bit about what we're doing here when we take communion.